Chapter 14, The Farm and Her Assistant We are here, Friend announced from Amory's hand. The boy stopped running and caught his breath. Aclaban was without exhaustion or any form of perspiration even within his ornate robe. The portal we are going through is directly in front of you, Amory. Aclaban, you will go first. Aclaban bowed his head, read the ancient text from the surface of the stone, and shimmered out of existence. Now us, Amory. The words read, Rapitumna Kirchis, say them. But where does this go? The boy said, voicing his hesitation. You will soon find out. It will be much easier for you to see for yourself. Amory spoke the words. Amory and friend disappeared. The warmth of the apocryphalum greeted them once more, along with the firmness of stone beneath Amory's feet and the eternal void spreading in all directions. For a moment it seemed to be despairingly dark, but that slowly changed as Amory's eyes adjusted to the gloom. There were many small lights, dim specks of golden glow fluttering about, accompanied by an eerie phonic buzzing. It took him a few blinks to realize what they were. Handfuls of odd insects, insects unlike any he had witnessed on the Isle of Winter. These insects generated their light through the energy of their wings. When they flew, they radiated. When they landed, they blended with the stone. Jpids, stated friend before addressing his possessor with directions. Amory, begin walking forward, but very slowly. Aclaban, stay close behind. As Amory walked forward between the dancing japids, he began to understand the need for slowness. The ground was curving downward, smoothly and steadily. Each step found a surface slightly steeper than the last, until he could go no further without losing his balance and falling forward into the dismal nothingness of the void. There is no way to continue, Aclaban said, shuffling backwards for fear of falling into the endless nothing. Not here, at least, Friend returned. We shall walk around the outer boundary of this platform. Lead the way, Amory. What are we trying to find? Amory asked. A way below, said Friend. They were walking on a large sphere sculpted out of the Apocryphalum's stone. It was hard to see its surfaces clearly, but large engravings, larger than what Amory's mind could perceive as complete images or symbols, covered them. The sphere was about the size of eight winter cottages rolled together. This is it, Friend said as they came upon a small ledge cut into the surface of the sphere. The ledge spiraled around the sphere as a path, making it possible to walk down the sphere's increasing curve. Where the ledge led, the sphere gave breadth for passage. As they walked along the ledge by the jpid's light, to the point where the sphere began to curve back towards its axis underneath, the ledge began to deepen its dimensions, inching into the bulk of the sphere and allowing them to tread in a narrow passage with the outer portions of the sphere looming over their heads. Though the design of the sphere was magnificent, Amory's disbelief came from its physical situation. The closer they got to the bottom, the easier it became to acknowledge that nothing supported it in the dark emptiness. It was this that brought awe beyond the bounds of his imagination. He then realized this must have been the case for all of the locations within the Apocryphalum, that they all floated in the middle of nothing. 
A hole extending straight up into the sphere, with a ladder to reach its heights, awaited the trio at the lowermost region of the sphere. Within the hole, Japid still flew, casting their vague light. Up we go, said Fryn. Will you be able to manage the climb, Amory? Yes, I should be fine. No time to lose then, Amory, up, Fryn shouted excitedly. One by one, Amory climbed the rungs, wrapping his whole left arm around each in turn while he maintained his grip on the jar. Slowly, he encroached upon that which resided above. Acliban followed close behind. How much further? Amory asked. The way was dark. Not far now, Fryn said. Keep going. The boy realized then that Fryn did not need its eyes to see. It could see what Amory saw through their connection, and, even beyond that, it could see much more through what powers it held. Under the glow of the jpeg still jumping around within the alcove, Amory eventually spotted a door where the ladder ended. It was stone like every other piece of creation within the Apocryphalum. There were no handles or latches upon the door, and its surface held the engraving of a symbol he could distinguish but not understand. It was a circle encompassed by thirteen diamonds, one of which was darkened. Knock, Amory, Fryn said. Amory locked his left arm around a rung, reached up with his right hand, and knocked. Who is there, yes, behind my door? A feminine voice yelled from behind the stone. Janimer Maggear, Fryn yelled. It is I, Fryn, your old friend who comes to seek your skill. Silence briefly greeted the Sibjulim's words before the stone slabs were pulled open. The creature that Amory saw in the light of the open door was not gentle, and it reached down and picked him up, bringing him and Fryn inside. Its grip was firm and stronger than anything he had ever felt before. What had grabbed Amory was a being of strange appearance. It could not be compared to anything he had ever known on the Isle of Winder, or to anything he had since seen in the Apocryphalum. The thing was giant-like in size, but not visibly displeasing. Armor appeared to cover every surface of its body, but it was not armor. There were no ridges or separate pieces or rigid attachments. A glistening, smooth, pearlescent, grayish-blue surface covered its body from head to toe, although it actually had no toes. Two dark slits where it should have had eyes were the only openings. It had no mouth, no nose, and no ears. Its outward qualities caused it to look like a costume, something worn by something else, although there appeared to be no way to put it on or take it off. However, costume or not, something frightening dwelled inside it, peering through those eye slits, for its energy was empty and desolate. It set Amory and Fryn down beside the door before grabbing up Acliban in the same way. It then stepped backwards to where a female figure stood. She was the one that had addressed them from behind the door. She stood no more than the height of a child, about Amory's height, and had an ageless appearance. She was nothing like the people of Winder. A pair of large goggles were strapped around her head on top of her dark hair, between her two long, pointed ears. Her skin, that skin which was not covered by the brown, full-body coat that fell to her boots, was covered in soot. The coat, likewise, was filthy. She held a shocking beauty that channeled out through her bronze eyes, beaming beyond her uncleanliness. So good to see you, yes, after so long, Fryn, Janimer said with a disarming smile. 
"'As you, my old friend,' said Fryn, "'the Amin boy is Amory, and the Festinger is Akleban.' "'Very nice to meet you both. Yes, you are very welcome,' Janimer said, turning to each as she greeted them. "'This is my assistant, yes, Ashtarin. It is a sibulum, yes, very strong.' Janimer walked closer to Fryn. "'How can I help you, Fryn? Yes, why do you seek me?' I have sought you out, Fryn replied, because I need charmers for the boy. A most potent request. Yes, I see that you are equipping yourself for the hunt once more. Yes, one more time, it seems. Please, yes, please follow me. The farm gestured for them to follow her. Janmer walked towards a door leading away from the entryway. Akleban followed her. Amory paused for a moment and then quickly darted to catch up realizing that he did not want to be left with Astrin for even a fraction of time. Astrin took up the rear with long, steady strides. Janimer led them into the maze of rooms that made up her lair, the interior of the spherical structure. The rooms were extravagant, not because they were in a complete disarray and disorder of clutter, but because each held unique objects and inventions and machinery and things no eye had ever seen nor any mind had conceived of. Some rooms were connected by open doors and some closed doors. There were big doors, vaulted doors, and curtained doors. Other rooms had ladders leading up into them, and some of those ladders even had doors at their ends. Every new room that they walked through was full of experiments and creations, each different than the last. Each room was given a specific purpose. Most of the doors could accommodate Ashtrin, but there were some that would have hindered its entrance. As they strolled through her lair, Janimer spoke about her miscellaneous and multifarious inventions with glee. That machine over there, yes, the Farsooth, she spoke, can find stone out in the emptiness of the Apocryphalum. Yes, it searches very well. And that, the stainer, makes skin glow with light, yes, like a lamp. Amory's attention darted to a particular invention that caught his eye as they moved on. What is that over there on that table? The one with the big, long, screw-type thing on the handle's end, he asked. That, yes, that is the intricate, Janimer replied with excitement. It sews one-way portals in the Apocryphalum to different parts of the Apocryphalum. Yes, weaves. I would not ever use it, though. Yes, never, because you never know where you would go or how to get back. How do you know it works, then? the boy asked. Because that is the second one I have made, yes, not the first. I will never see it nor its tester ever again, yes, truly never. Janimer gave the boy a very soothing and calming feeling despite what she just told him. The more she spoke, the more he got a glimpse into her personality, which was rather whimsical. She constantly jumped from one topic to another with a reckless spontaneity. Eventually, after walking through many rooms and climbing up several ladders, they came to a door that was much smaller than the others, even smaller than the ones that were too small to fit Ashtrin. This door also contained a lock. On the wall beside the door was a candle holder set with a candle. Atop the candle was one of the swirling balls of fire, the staple light source of the Apocryphalum. Janimer turned and faced her followers. Wait here. Yes, please wait. She stepped towards the door and produced a small chunk of raw material from her coat. She held it in the palm of her hand. Before Amory could register what was occurring, the chunk of material lifted briefly off her hand, shifting, contorting, and morphing into a key that fell softly into her palm. 
The key slid right into the lock and opened the door. Janimer was inside the door within moments after grabbing the candle from its holder. Janimer stopped in the center of what appeared to be an inventory closet. Her completed, successful inventions were stored there until they were needed. This room was not cluttered like the rest of the lair. Every shelf that could be seen was neatly organized. The closet did not extend very far. Janimer stopped briefly inside, looked up, and then began climbing a ladder on the side wall of the closet that Amory had not noticed. She quickly disappeared from sight. Amory wondered how far the closet went up, and how many shelves lined the walls that ascended. How many inventions had Janimer made, he thought. It seems quite enjoyable to be an inventor, Amory said, but not to anyone directly. Getting to always use your imagination. Yes, I suppose, Fryn acknowledged. But she is not an inventor. She is a farm. There is a difference. Farms do not create to fulfill a need. They are a selfish race that has an unquenchable lust for all knowledge. It is through inventions that farms manifest superiority over many beings. Perhaps one age soon they will not be as secluded as they are now. There are many mysteries of life and the spirit that are only known by them. The boy took another look at the inventions, seeing each as a key to strange understandings. They reached outwardly for use, beckoning for his touch, tempting him with gifts of new eyes, eyes that could see through and beyond, eyes that could see all. Reluctantly, he awaited the farm's return. A moment later, Janimer reappeared from the inventory closet with an object concealed in her grasp, carefully wrapped in a cloth. She led everyone to a partially cleared table in the room they had waited in and laid the object down. Meticulously, she revealed what was beneath the cover, supporting it on a base created by the cloth. Not once did she touch the object's surface with her hands. On the table, nestled on its base of unwrapped cloth, was a perfectly clear orb. Its incredible clarity rendered it almost invisible. Only but a minor distortion of what lay behind its enclosed space alerted Amory to its presence. This is a sepulchular, yes, a device which has a thilopariel imprisoned within it, said Janimer to Amory, for she acknowledged that he knew nothing about what she revealed. It is this being of pure spirit, yes, with an unlimited presence beyond the bounds of space or time, that can be forced through the control of the sepulchular, apart from many other things, to embed simple cars. Janimer suddenly materialized and skillfully flipped a dull and worn index card between her fingers, with the emotions it has discovered in the dreams and nightmares of all worlds. For you see, the farm still spoke directly to Emery, the Loparials are the thieves of sleep, yes, they experience through the realms of slumber. They borrow the minds of those asleep, yes, use them as the palette of creation and desire. Perhaps even now you can recall those nights of strange adventures and unforgettable fears, yes, of mysterious friends and dangerous foes. They were all very real, yes, true. They were your dreams and nightmares, yes, but the Thilopariel's wishes. The fawn passed the card in her hand across the sepulchular's face, gently but quickly, touching it to the orb. The orb flashed and so did the card, but the card was not as it once was. In place of its bareness was now a collage of color and design. Gold laced a fine composition of borders and swirls atop a translucent black. There, stranger and more beautiful yet, on the side of the card was an astoundingly detailed picture of an unknown creature in the middle of song. 
The bean had large eyes and smooth red skin. A cloak was draped about it, hanging eloquently from its slender shoulders. A dreary, overcast sky was upon the surroundings, and a small fire crackled with ember and ash. Janimer handed Amory the card, and he accepted it with the tips of his fingers. A sensation of forlornness immediately overcame him. Memories not of his own saddened him and pleaded with him. The words of the singing being started to echo in his mind. Those days we ate and drank of joy, our buried dreams within the fog. Oh, merciless time, be kind to me and bring me back to sunshine. Every syllable brought back a longing Amory had never known. Tears swelled within his eyes and he dropped the card to the floor. It swiftly changed direction twice before it slid to a halt by the looming sibulum, Astrid. As soon as the card left the boy's hand, so did the emotion's powerful hold leave his body. He became embarrassed at his uncontrollable outbreak and rashly wiped the depressing dew from his eyes. That is a charmer, said the fawn. Yes, one of my most precious achievements. Whoever bears its touch bears the experience. Yes, the trapped emotion within it. But that is only one of its uses. Yes, its mild application. The card may be placed in the very essence of a self. Yes, instilling that emotion forever into a host. In repulsion to this foreign acquisition, yes, the host's spirit is sent free to keep its purity of origin. And in doing so, yes, makes the charmer a most stunning tool. The fawn paused before she asked, Friend, yes, my friend, how many do you wish? Only a half trend will be enough, nothing less, replied the jar. Please, yes, allow Ashton to lead you to the den while I prepare the merchandise, directed the farm. Ashton, without a word, started walking down the hallway. Amory, Fryn, and Aklaban followed close behind. Thoughts about just how many emotion-trapping charmers were being made filled the boy's head. How much is a half trend, Fryn? Amory asked. Five hundred.